She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Ferfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of Shreddy Balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hello, how are you? Hey, everybody. Well, I'm hanging in there. Um, Are you, first of all, we're getting ready for the holidays. Yeah. Um, Are you ready? Um, Yes, I am ready now. Oh. I'm ready now. Okay. Um, And uh, because today, actually, this afternoon, well, this afternoon, I'm very relieved. Yes, for many reasons, um, because you've had a rough couple of days. <laughs> I have had a very rough couple of days. I can't believe you're going to talk about this. I would, no. you, I would never talk. I mean, it's important, but still. I think it's really important to talk about it. My father died of colon cancer 12 years ago, and ever since then, I wanted to be able to tell people, you know, go get, go get your screening. In mm-hmm. fact, when he was diagnosed with colon cancer, I went to go and get my screening mm-hmm. right away, and um, I've had three screenings since. And so this morning was my colonoscopy. Yesterday was a horrendous day of prepping for it which is the worst part of a colonoscopy. And the reason why I'm saying this now is that uh, I decided that yesterday I was going to post it on my Facebook, Mm -hmm. that I was going to get this done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought maybe, you know, a few people would say, oh, good luck and all that kind of... Well, in a couple of hours, it had reached 100,000 people. Wow. And uh, what I think what shocked me was the amount of people who who came on and said their family member had died of colon cancer yeah. or they had colon cancer or they had polyps or they were, you know, genetically predisposed. And so literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments and uh, 100,000 people reached because this is a hot this this is mm-hmm. a really important health issue. Yeah. Why shouldn't I talk about it? If I can help one person, and in fact, I had a lot of comments, a lot of people saying, because you've done this, because you came out and said it, I'm now going to get my colonoscopy. That's awesome. And that's why I'm gonna, I'm talking about it. And really, at the end of the day, yeah, it's okay, you get a tube shoved up your butt. <laughs> but colon cancer is a killer. Yeah. I saw my father die of it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, something else is going to get me, but it's not going to be colon cancer. So, good for you. If you're listening and you're over 50, or you have a family history of colon cancer, or you have digestive issues, talk to your doctor, talk to your gastroenterologist about getting a colonoscopy. Know the prep is horrible. There's no doubt about it's, it. It's but horrible. it's a lot better than dying from colon cancer. Yes, it is. It's mm-hmm. worth it. So. I'm here. It's the afternoon. I'm, you look great. I'm I was great. like, what? Did you not go? I know. I've got a great doctor. Yes. I just want to say thank you, Dr. Waring. That's great. Yeah. Well, and you know, the recommendation is if you have a parent, uh, I think an immediate parent who had colon cancer, then you should be, your first screening should be 10 years prior to the day, the year that they were diagnosed. So if they were diagnosed at 50, then you should get your first one screening at 40 and your doctor will tell you, but that's the general recommendation. But some doctors may say, go in now, definitely talk to your doctor, but I'm proud of you. Good for you for, thank you for doing that. I think thank that's you. a very important, great thing. Thanks very much. Yes. Um, I'm glad. And you, and you look great, by the way. 
<laughs> and you know what? The prep, I hear the prep is bad, but you know what, though? I mean, it's horrible. There's really? nothing. Well, well, what is the prep? What is the prep? Okay, that you well, to then do? you have to drink this stuff, which just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Vesuvius. Let's just put no finer point on it. It is, it is, after you drink this stuff, you are miserable for about. 10 hours. Well, you know, I had food poisoning last week. I totally understand. Oh, you did? Oh, my okay. gosh. Lost three pounds. Really? But, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, no, you don't. It's, nothing comes up that way. It shouldn't. It all comes out the other way. Well, it was well, both ways. Let's okay. just put it this way. It was bad. Well, with, with the prep poisoning. out there, people don't get worried. You're not You're not going to throw up. It no. just It's the other end, and it's... You you just you gotta do it. It's off the subject of dogs, but I just want. That's you know, okay. And I then when you do know. it, stand on a scale and take a picture because it's gonna look pretty good after you've flushed. Yes, it yeah. is. See, and then you can use that. I feel like a new woman. There you, well, you look like one. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Switching subjects now to dogs, which is why really a lot of us are here. Although for everything. Uh, but I love the story because we have to talk about this. I don't love the fact that two members of our military were injured, but what a beautiful story. And talk about the connection and bond between, um, you know, two best friends. Um, to, if you would share the story about Rocky and uh, specialist Andrew Brown. Yeah, well, the pictures have really gone viral. So specialist Andrew Brown and his dog Rocky were in Afghanistan and they um Unfortunately, they were searching a building for explosives and they were hit by an IED blast Mm -hmm. and they were both injured. And um, so the picture that's gone viral is of Rocky. And I think what is amazing is that uh, he has a purple heart on his collar Mm. and um, the picture of them together. Now, Andrew Brown has been brought back to Walter Reed Hospital Mm -hmm. here, but Rocky's still in Germany. Mm -hmm. And so... Recovering. Recovering. The picture of his, of his is, is, if you haven't seen it yet, you can search it but online, but it's him laying in a hospital bed, the dog, like a human, mm. and you see him covered up. He's got a blanket on and then the purple heart on that. It's so yeah. sweet. But the uh, dog's going to be all right. They say his yeah. leg's going to, he's going to recover. He hurt his leg, but he's going to be Dog okay. and handler are going to be fine. And handler's going to be just great. Just hope that they get reunited. Yeah. And I'm sure they will. We just want to make sure that they do get reunited. Yes, because I'm sure that they both owe each other their lives. And, you know, when you go through something like that and think about it, I mean, I can't imagine being in the military and working so closely with a dog for so long. And you're in, I mean, life-threatening situations, literally life-threatening situations, and you have each other to rely on. What a bond is created between them. Yeah, it's a very, very strong bond. If you think about it, I mean, these dogs are with their handlers all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that we see in the police. You know, the dogs spend so much time with their handlers because they're doing this dangerous job together. And that that does create that bond and that trust. There's got to be real trust between dog Mm -hmm. and handler. So I think that this, this story just just went viral, and um, I'm glad because I hope it brings awareness. A, not only just about you know our military men and women. We think about it Memorial Day. We think about it Veterans Day. We think about them you know in in times of crisis, but we don't think about them every day. And especially now, it's the holidays and how many men and women are overseas and dogs, but men and women fighting for us who are not going to be sharing the holidays with their families, and their families are here without them. And I think it's so important to remember them. And uh, think about them. And in a story like this brings it, makes it real, you know, that they do get hurt and they do go through this together. Um, and I know that there's some groups out there that are trying to keep these, you know, the, the, the dogs and the handlers together. And I think it's so important after you're especially, you know, like uh, Specialist Brown and Rocky, you know, for what they've been through. 
I am I'm very excited because we've got Kristen Morrow, who is one of the founders of um, Mission Canine Rescue, and they're based in Houston, Texas, but they serve retiring and retired military working dogs, contract working dogs, any dogs who serve, and um, they will rescue, rehabilitate, rehome, reunite these dogs, bring them back from the different countries, reunite them with their handlers or rehome them. Their work is incredible, and so uh, she's going to come on as a guest today. Awesome. Well, let's get her on the phone. The Positively Hotline is ringing. We don't know what we're going to do. We have no plan. We're just here. Who's calling in this week? He went after her like she's made out of ham. That is interesting. That's exciting. Um, is somebody going to answer that? Hello? Hotline ringing. You're on your phone, and I don't think you're taking any of this seriously. It's the phone! Welcome, Kristen, to the show. We're so pleased to have you. I've followed um, your work a, a long time with Mission Canine Rescue. You really do an amazing service for these uh, incredible animals. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and how you founded how you founded the rescue? Yes. Um, you know, thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, I really appreciate you and all the work you do, and so we're really grateful to be on your show. Um, Mission Canine Rescue uh, was founded in 2013. We rescue retired working canines that uh, mainly war dogs. We focus a lot on war dogs, but we also rescue police canines, GSA, Border Patrol, um, any canine that has served mankind in some capacity. Um, what we do, our mission is that we rescue, reunite, rehome, rehabilitate, and repair um, any retired working canine. Um, we, we reunite a lot of military dogs with the handlers that they, they served with. Um, but we also bring back retired war dogs from, from other countries, Kuwait, Afghanistan, and, and find them homes here in the States once they've served overseas. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you find that the, there's a, there's an adjustment period when a dog's been out in that kind of environment doing the kind of work that they do? Do you find it difficult to rehome them, and do you have to really search for the the kind of families that maybe, you know, uh, uh, are more aware of these particular dogs' needs? Is it hard to find you families? Know, we, right. Well, you know, um, sometimes it is. It depends on the dog. Um, some of the dogs come back and, and with just a little bit of care and relaxation here in the United States. They, they, they acclimate into a home environment very quickly. But then you have the other ones that, that definitely need more rehabilitating, um, a little more care, um, and definitely we have to, we have to be very careful in screening the applicants for those dogs. Um, we screen all of our applicants very closely. We have, we have rules that we go by and, um, it's not just myself, but, but my business partner, we, so we, we take great care in talking to them, learning about them, and we do not allow them to pick their dog. We match the dog with, with the family and their environment and what they do because we've gotten to know them so well, the dog that is, and we understand what their needs are. And so we, we pick the families for them. And Kristen, I know you were instrumental in uh, a law that was passed uh, a couple of years ago about bringing these dogs home. I know some people may have heard about it, but can you tell us about this? So now we do have to bring these dogs home, which we should have been doing all along, but you are making sure that's going to happen. 
Yes, you know, that, that law, is, it's a great law, and yes, we, we definitely are proud of the part that we played. And it, um, it is, what that law pertains to is military dogs. There was a time when the military dog retired in the non-combat zone overseas. And um, once they retired, they were considered pets, not vets. And so the military would not give them a ride home. Hmm. And so if a handler was in the United States and wanted his dog that was overseas, the handler uh, had to come up with the funds to get the dogs back. And so we spent a majority of our time getting these dogs back, doing all of the logistics, supply the dogs back, and reunite them with their handlers. In the meantime, we were we were helping with the law and, and writing some of the law um, to, to get these dogs back. The other part of that was that the handlers did not necessarily have the first dibs on adoption. It was an unwritten rule that they did, but they did. it wasn't a law, and so sometimes they fell through the cracks. Now it's a law. They, they absolutely get the first right of adoption, um, and so that, that, that's all great stuff. But the issue we're going to have now is the, the difference between a military dog, which is owned by the Department of Defense, and a contract working dog, which is owned by private contract co- companies. They deploy alongside the military. They do the same jobs as the military dog, but they don't have laws for protecting them the way the military dogs do. So as, as great as that law is for military dogs, it has no bearing on contract working dogs at all. Hmm. So the contract companies that, that work with these dogs, um, some of them are wonderful. Within every industry, you have amazing organizations, but you also have the ones that don't quite, are, are not quite up to par and don't do the right thing all the time. And I'm sorry. We see- those are the ones that that we they, what we work with these these dogs once they retire. I'm sorry. Oh, we were just having a little. We're having a little bit of technical Hello? difficulty. Can you hear us still? Hello. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure you heard us. Go ahead. You can pick back up. Yeah. Um. It just once these dogs once the contract working dogs retire. Let's say the contract company has a contract. It's a forty month contract and the dog retires at 20 months. Well, the contract company doesn't always pay for the dogs to come home immediately. So they'll sit in a, in a kennel in Kuwait or Afghanistan for 20 months waiting for the contract to end. Um, and so what we do is we raise the funds and, and, and get these dogs home early and get them retired. And oftentimes they don't make it home, so that's our, our fight now. So as great as the law is for military dogs, we still have a long way to go for contract dogs. And now, so that's our that's our biggest focus. Okay, there was a story in U.S. today, if I remember, um, that said that the military, it, w- it was actually wrong that the military were leaving their dogs out in Afghanistan um, or, or in these war zones. It, it, that is that that there was some sort of discrepancy about that. That's actually not true. That is not true. Yes, they they did not leave them overseas um, in Afghanistan. What they were doing and where the law what the law changed was that the, the military dogs would deploy on nine-month deployments. They would leave their duty station with their handler to the war zones and then go back to their duty station, which could be Germany, Guam, Japan, even the U.S., but a non-combat zone. The military dogs were never left in combat zones. They haven't been left since Vietnam. So it, that was that was a false false. Story. It was a. I think it was kind of a hike to get the get the law passed. Um, and and as great as the law was, it was very very challenging for us to try to 
explained that no, the military was not leaving them in combat. Uh, that that did not happen. So, um, Kristen, for those who are listening and maybe just learning about um, Mission Canine Rescue and want to help yeah. or want to do something or want to be active in something in your organization, how do how do people get involved? How do people help you? What kind of help do you need? You know, mainly right now it, it's it's monetary. We have we brought back ten dogs from from Kuwait, three of which need hip repla- total hip replacement surgery. These dogs have been worked hard. They've been worked all their life. Um, they they've done their job to protect us, and it's time that we protect them. And so we we fought to get them back, and and we've done that. But now they all need total hip replacement. So anyone can go to our website at www.mission the letter K number nine rescue org and and donate we also we are we are hoping to purchase our kennels and um, if we are able to do that then we'll definitely need volunteers at that point right now we we are paying monthly for kennel fees we the kennels are gracious and they're wonderful and they've allowed us to train their employees to work with these dogs and to help us but we're we're growing and there's a greater need every day we get calls all the time um, that there are more dogs over that they need us to bring back mine detection dogs, explosive detection dogs that they need our help with, and and we're we're at full capacity. So so as soon as we can get these out and adopted, that the other thing is if you're interested in adopting one of these dogs, to go to go to our website and fill out an application, and we'll certainly get it to you if we possibly can, or if we find a match for you, we'll we'll reach out. So that's the other way, and um, if you're interested in an adoption. So, because um, the sooner we get them out and the sooner we get these dogs taken care of in their hips, then we can bring more back from Afghanistan and bring them back over and get them out of there because they're retired just waiting on a ride home. And I would imagine these are very well-trained dogs. So you probably, you know, besides the fact of adjusting back to civilian life, though, I bet you when you say, hey, sit, they sit, they know. And uh, I, I would love one of those. Yeah. <laughs> they do. But- they do. They I know, also, and, and they do, and they sit in more languages than you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them speak more languages than we do. I and love that. Great. Are yeah, you, they're, and they're you, great dogs. And where are you located physically for those who say, oh, I'd like we're to volunteer in, some time? Yeah, we're in Houston, Texas. Okay. And um, and we, we do, we're starting to reach out and look for different fosters and things like that. Um, when when the dog can can go to a foster, we, we are starting to do a little more of that. Um, as we, but we need them to decompress a little bit in our kennels before we can move them to the next phase of foster or to a home. Uh, they need a little time with us and to to decompress. They they all come back a little amped up, but it's but it's amazing how quickly they will acclimate to retired life. And, <laughs> and it's a beautiful sight to see. So yeah. it is a wonderful sight because when they first get back, they're pretty stressed. And then by the time, you know, we adopt them into a home, they're a different dog. And mm-hmm. it, it's just great. It's just great. So you, you really are amazing. And, uh, and I've, uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of times, meeting some of the dogs that you have, um, that you've helped. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We uh, positively really want to make sure that we continue to support you and um, anybody listening again if you want to find out more go to missioncaninerescue.org you can go to a great website um, and you can find out exactly what they do so thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it thank you for what you do Kristen thank you guys so much I'm so grateful thank you for having me on you're welcome bye bye 
Wow, she is amazing, Vic. Unbelievable. And I know we had a little bit of technical difficulties there uh, with the phone, you know, but it was more important to get her on the air than try and wait and fix it. And she's a really busy woman doing such important things. But um, again, it's Mission Canine Rescue, and that's a K and a nine rescue.org. Um, if you want to find out more information or if some of it you couldn't hear um, because of a, a bad trans, uh, bad transmission. But uh, wow, she's amazing. Hey, you got something on your mind? What are you, a wizard, a genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way, some process they they physically miniaturize the dog, or is it a puppy, or what, what the devil is going on? That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here. Next time you want to know something, can you repeat the yes. question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know? Uh, you obviously don't dog. know my dog. Just ask Victoria. Dogs delight in learning and Zooks provides the energy they need to fuel every training session. For 20 years, Zooks has created natural treats that energize and entice your dogs with wholesome, antioxidant-rich ingredients. Zooks are as nutritious as they are delicious. Learn more at zooks.com. All right, first question here. Let's jump right in with Daisy in Delaware. She has a bit of an issue. She says, I am at my wit's end. And there's an exclamation point, so she's really in trouble. Uh, She says, I have a seven-week-old Rottweiler, and I'm trying to train her, but she won't listen. Sounds familiar. She's teething and keeps biting myself and my mom. I've tried squealing at her as though in pain, like I've seen you do on TV, but Kiki just won't listen. She ignores us. I also have two rabbits that I'm worried about. Please help. Okay. Well, let's just deal with the rabbits first. Okay. Just keep the rabbits away from her. Yeah. I just don't think rabbits and dogs mix that well. But if you do have a rabbit and dog picture, then send it, please. But (laughs) no. Yeah, that's tempting. Why put... put her up for yeah, failure. Yeah, let's just not do that. Yeah. And, you know, puppy, it's just, the problem is that just in her puppy brain, oh, these are fun little toys to play with. And things can happen when right. dogs see small fluffy things as fun little toys to play with. Keep them separated. Yes. Separate them. Not meaning, right, to do anything. No, but no, just, like, just toys. Yeah. They don't know their own strength. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so she's obviously teething. She's obviously got sharp teeth. Mm-hmm. Because puppies do have very sharp teeth, so she could do some damage with those rabbits. Keep yeah. those bunnies safe. Okay, seven weeks old. You know, she's still such a baby. Mm-hmm. She is a she's baby. Tiny. tiny, tiny. And so she's not going to listen that much right now. Right. The whole biting thing is that um, sometimes the squealing and uh, works for some dogs. But for others, actually, it encourages them more. It's oh. more like a game. Okay, now I'm going to just do it more. I'm going to nip on you more. So sometimes what I'll do is, first of all, I will always have toys around that I can direct that puppy mouthing onto something more appropriate. Mm-hmm. That's really important. So so have have a load of puppy teething toys. So it is teething. She's that it, well, little, it is, but, she's but it's teething. also the way that puppies explore their environment. Mm. They explore. I mean, they don't have hands, right. so they explore the environment with their mouths. And it's the same as uh, I have to say, as a human baby. You know, everything goes into the mouth. That's to right. Begin with everything does. Yeah. So that's how they're discovering their world, and the feeling of chewing on skin or clothes, or is just really, it's really fun. It's great. So. That's why you have to have a lot of toys to to redirect that onto Mm -hmm. something more appropriate. But if it's getting too much, then sometimes I'll just say biting stops play. You don't want to do it so you cause anxiety, but Mm -hmm. you just go, oops, just get up and walk away for a bit. 
then come back and start playing with puppy again. And if she bites you again, or pieces a piece of clothing or your skin, you just go, oops, get up and walk away. So puppy goes, wait a second, each time I do that, she leaves. That's not fun. And, you know, in time that they, they can learn that. But I always, I always find toys are better. Is there also like a game you can play besides sort of wrestling and chewing, like a chase game or something else that they can do together, which would not really involve biting or will it always end up to that? Yeah, you know, and I, I, yes, I mean, there's definitely chase games that you can do around the house and loads of little games you can do outside. But I think, you know, obviously they're going to want to interact with puppy. Yeah. And then when they're interacting with puppy, that's the that's issue. Happens. And so don't get angry. And no. that's the important thing. You don't want to stress your pup out. So don't get angry, but just go, oh, dear, ow, that hurt. And, uh, and, and see what your pup does. I think, I think that's probably the way to go with that one. Okay. This is from Philippa in New Zealand. Ooh, Very excited. Beautiful Can we there. Come? I know, right? How about we just answer this in person? <laughs> yeah. Um, my two dogs, a female English, English cocker and a female carn terrier. Did I say Karen, that right? Karen, Karen Terry. Terrier. Bark and turn circles and pull on the lead towards other dogs when I walk them. Sometimes I think they're enjoying the moment. Is it possible to use the clicker method on two dogs when walking them together? On some occasions, I have three dogs together and they act like a pack. Will you suggest just walking one dog at a time? I hope not, <laughs> she says. Really, appro uh, really appreciate any help as I'm getting tired of escaping up people's drives. Okay, first of all, Philippa, we're like soul sisters. I get that because I have one dog who's reactive and the other dog gets dragged along. And it's hard, especially like when it gets dark early or you're tired, you've had a long day at work, and the last thing you want to do is walk one dog for half an hour and walk the other one. Like that's a oh, lot of yes. time. Oh, it, it is a lot of time, but it's really, really hard mm -hmm. to train two dogs at the same time or three dogs at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So you can start by yes training each dog separately while out on a walk. Mm -hmm. So you are going to have a little time where you're going to be spending time with one dog at a time, okay? That's just the way it's going to be. Yes. And once you get to the dogs to the point where they don't react, then you can put them together. But as soon as one starts, mm -hmm. that urges the other one to go, and then it's uncontrollable. That's the reason why you have to teach both dogs impulse control. Now, is it, uh, are they excited to go greet the other dog? Are they just, uh, are they frustrated because they're at the end of the leash and they can't get to the other dog? Are they scared of the other dog? Um, why is it? And that, that, that's why I always ask why. Why are the dogs reacting in the way that they are? Like I know with my chihuahua that um, when I first got her, she reacted because she was, she was terrified, mm -hmm. especially larger dogs. I mean, she's tiny, so she's terrified of them. I understood her reaction so I could work on it. But there are other dogs that are just frustrated. Mm -hmm. you, and therefore, they need to sort of learn how to behave appropriately. And then what about enlisting a friend to walk the other dog so you're walking separately? Or is that still going to egg them on because they're still, seeing each other? It can still egg them on. I really don't. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But I don't think you can get away with, to begin with, mm -hmm. walking them separately, training them separately, to get them to a point where they're really good, and then you can put them together. Look at it this way, Philippa. You're going to look great by the end of a couple months. Okay, perfect. Good exercise. All right, this is from Lori in Virginia, and she says, we're bringing home two, all right, cotton de tulier. Yes. Did I say that right? Couton de tulier. Okay, what she said. I think. Two of those are coming home uh, to Lori next 
Thursday. They're puppies. She said, I've done much preparation, but she wants tips on the proper way to approach the routine of two puppies. I need to know the do's and don'ts so I can educate myself and the family before arrival. I work, wow. I work, oh, I work 18 hours a week. I thought she was going to say a day. 18 hours a week. So I want to develop a routine while I'm off the first 23 days after they arrive. Want to make this time count. I want to train my family members and myself as best I can. One is a boy, one is a girl, different litters, but the birth is separated by four days, only different sires. So that's Lori in Virginia. But first of all, how awesome is she that she's trying to prep and do all the right things? Like, God bless her. She is a great mom to be. Yeah, that you. Wow. You're doing yeah. really well already. I don't. I, when, I'm glad they're not siblings because there's always an issue with siblings. Which is weird. Yeah, well, I mean, it was normal, and yeah, in, I guess in, you're right. With humans as well, there's always an issue with siblings and fighting. Except with dogs, you know, they do it with teeth, and um, so I'm glad it's not that. But however, I still think taking on two puppies, wow, mm-hmm. that's. Uh, but you're getting it all like be... the accidents in the house done at once. Yeah, you are, you are. But um, how long did she say she was going to be off work? For Twenty-three them? days. 23 so she's got like days. a month with them, which is good. Which That's is a good great. amount of time. But will that sort of set but, them in a wrong routine? Well, no, it'll set them. Well, they'll get used you, to her being home. They'll get used to her being home. And what you have to to be careful of is that you don't give them so much attention, so much attention, so much, and then you go, and then they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Where did she go? That's actually how a lot of dogs get separation anxiety because they get it all and then all of a sudden that person's gone. Mm. Um, plus, 23 days, it does sound like a long time and it's great. So you've got a month with them, but they're going to be adolescents. Mm. You know, they're going to be going from puppyhood to adolescence when you're going to be out all day. Mm-hmm. But she's only doing 18 hours a week, okay. not a day. So okay. it sounds to me like she'll only be gone a few hours a day. Well, that's... That's a relief. And then mm-hmm. if you have family members, you can help. Um, get into, you're going to start with a house training routine. Mm-hmm. And that means that don't give puppies the run of the house. I would say you wouldn't take a little baby or an infant and just take their diapers off or nappies off and just let them go, would you? But it's amazing how many people get puppies and they just let them go over the run of the house and then they get annoyed when the puppies go to the toilet, go to the bathroom. Or chew on things. Or, yeah. yeah. Puppy-proof your house, mm-hmm. which means get down on the ground and look at everything from your pup's point of view uh, to see what's chewable. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's a good idea. And um, create a safe zone, a puppy room, where you could do the house training if you're going to do pad training first before you take them outside. Or um, it's, it's a safe zone. So it's a place that is completely puppy-proof that you can put your pups in. Don't leave them in crates for too long because during the house training process, you don't want to force them to eliminate in the crate. So um, that's why I like to have like a little area of safe zone and uh, behind a baby gate or something. So it's not isolated from the family. It's not behind a door, but behind a baby gate. And then I have a crate in the corner. So here she could have two crates. And then I have pads on the ground. Um, and then... After a while, when the dogs are getting used to going on the pads, then I'll take one away. So that eventually we get to the fact there's only one pad or two pads if there are two dogs to use so that the dogs get the idea of toileting on the pad. Mm -hmm. So now you can leave those puppies in the safe zone with open crates with the pads. And at night, you can shut the crates. Or if you're going out for an hour or two, you can shut the crates as well. Safety's important because pups get into 
everything. <laughs> that would be my number one piece of advice for her. Awesome. All right. Um, this is Karen in Nevada, and this is, uh, mm, this is a serious problem. She has three rescues. They're all female, but they usually get along well, except in one circumstance. My two biggest dogs will start viciously fighting each other when they both get overexcited about something, like a dog barking at us as, as we walk by its yard, or if I'm about to give them all treats, or when I'm about to take them for a walk. And they're in a constricted space mm-hmm. on their leashes, both sitting in doorways or running down the hallway to go outside. So that's when they seem to get into a tussle. It only happens when I'm with them. I've had them together for a year now, it's only happened less than 10 times, but there have been some injuries, a few puncture wounds. I will not get rid of any dog, nor will I keep them continuously separated. Any suggestions? No, I don't think you need to keep them continuously separated, but I do think you need to have a ritual of behavior at times of excitement. So before a walk, right. one goes into one room with a leash or, you know, there's, there's some sort of ritual of behavior that you establish that means that you leash up separately. Or they go to different corners of the room. You, you, you know, you train them to go to different areas of the room. Well, now I'm going to put your leash on. Now I'm going to put your mm-hmm. leash on. And um, because, you know, unfortunately, once dogs start viciously fighting and actually puncturing, that that, that gets serious. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not likely to get better unless you really establish a routine. And you kind of think outside the box. Think how... How am I going to be able to avoid all of the triggers yeah. that are causing these fights? That's basically all you can do. Also, um, for my personal, because my dogs have gotten into tussles before, Barnsley and Cashmere, um, because and it's usually over because Barnsley resource guards, but Cashmere's food motivated. So it's over a treat, a chew toy or something like that we can have. So not only do I, if they're going to get a special treat, they're in separate rooms, they're separated, but also I watch and know the signs of some escalation. So I might hear a low growl, boom, we're done, treats go away. And so that you taught me to sort of know the signs of when it's going to start because once it escalates, man, it's, you can't stop it. No, it's really hard. Once it escalates, it's you're so you're, you're too far gone. Um, that's yeah it's it's a tough one with the whole food when there's competition over food or toys then i do say why bring the treats out when right that causes fights if they want to have chew time they have separate chew time that's okay or if they want to have toy time let's have separate toy time i always believe that dogs in multi-dog households need to have a little time away from each other yeah just as people do right so that's no bad thing and again it's literally just managing the situation yeah, because uh, my dogs love those big meaty bone things that, you know, you get at the pet store that are, you know, well, t- you know, it's not like handing them bone, but, um, and they got into a tussle the other day and not, they weren't even around. They each had their bones outside. They came inside to go get water and they got into it at the water bowl. Nothing was around. It was like 20 minutes after they'd had their treat, but you could tell they were on edge because I don't want you to take mine, I don't want you to take mine. Mm-hmm. So we took them away and three days later... Cashmere, who really likes it, got it by herself in a room, and Barnsley got to throw the ball with me outside. Everybody was happy. Fine. Yeah. Case closed. But I thought of you when all that happened. All right, let's do one more. Um, And this is from Brooklyn from Chicago, which is kind of funny. Um, My aunt has a Britney Spaniel who's friendly toward... I think we've done this one already. I think we've done it. We've done it. Okay. Yeah. We've already done that one. How Mm -hmm. about this? Uh, Tina in Virginia. Victoria, my dog is terrified of me. The whole time my husband's at work, she shakes and is fearful. 
I'm bipolar and had a particularly bad episode with lots of yelling, including while she was in the room. I think she will always be fearful of me because of my manic state. I would never hurt one of my dogs physically, but I think I hurt her spirit. I'm heartbroken and don't know what to do. She looks miserable most of the time. Oh, bless you. I really mm. feel for you. It happens with kids, too. It, it really it does. And um, thank you for being so candid about what... Uh, what has happened um but it can be fixed not always hopefully it can't always be fixed but let's look on the positive side you see once dog has a trauma and an experience with you that that is a fear memory that's always in the brain and will continue to be in the brain forever the brain doesn't erase fear memories so you know that's always going to be present um if your dog is particularly sensitive, then this could be a long road for you. But looking on the positive side, if you can be the source of all really great things to this dog and take pressure off your dog by maybe taking yourself away, I think what people want to do when dogs are scared of them or when they've had a bad episode that then the person wants to go and be with the dog and cuddle the dog. It's it, it's almost like that. And I would say do the opposite. Say, hey, I'm here and I'm going to give you the best food. I'm going to give you your favorite toy. I'm going to take you for your favorite walk. All good things now come through you. And I think after a while, if you manage not to have any other episodes in front of your dog, I think after a while your dog will come round. But you know, that's why I'm that's that's why I'm a positive trainer. Is because it, obviously there's there's an issue here and a really important issue here um that she's dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's affecting her dog, but when you shout at a dog or when you physically hurt a dog, which I know you haven't, but when you physically hurt or a dog or strong arm a dog to get him to do what you want. Yes, in the whole punitive training way you can really damage the spirit yeah and you can just change that relationship forever and if you don't try and repair it it's just going to be that way forever that's why positive training works all the time so be the source of all good things and good luck and i'd I'd really love to hear how it goes yeah let us know do you think also as far as um giving the dog space too i know like say you know if i get into an argument with my husband sometimes i don't want to oh i'm sorry i just i just i need some space i need some time by myself to calm down or whatever it is yeah dogs need space too but i i think you know if you just i think what the dog is doing is is being scared of maybe of proximity and the unknown like and whether the unknown. you're going to Oh my a- god is she going to shout again is she uh, and dog doesn't trust you right now so by just taking yourself away a little bit you're just relieving that pressure you're saying hey I'm here but hey it's okay I don't have to be on you all the time I don't have to be stroking you all the time I'm just going to give you great things and then we'll try to repair that relationship that way that's great. Awesome. And Tina, yeah, keep us posted and let us know how it goes. Fingers crossed. I think I'm thinking positively yes. that it's going to be fine. It's going to yes. take a little time, but the next thing you know, she's going to like you better. <laughs> how about that? Well, thanks, Fix. Now I feel smarter and I know all things. Good. Um, and uh, this is um, this is good. And thanks again for, you know, you being candid about the colonoscopy and helping people because if just one person goes and gets checked... That's awesome. It really is. It's going to save a life. Done a great thing. So anyway, it's time for you to go rest and lay down, though. Even though you say you feel fine, you need some rest. Yeah, I think I do. But you know what? I'm really excited because next week it's Christmas. 
There you go. Lots mm-hmm. to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Got a lot to do before then, but we will have one more podcast before then. We so, will. hmm, I might have some surprises. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Positively.